0: And I know some of you may be going, hallelujah. Uh, how long? I didn't count it up again. I think it was like 118 episodes, maybe 120 episodes of Hebrew, of Hebrews. But you know, the scripture tells us to approach the scripture uh, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is how we learn things. And so it's good to spend time in things, okay? It's good to just dwell upon it and meditate upon it. We're going to go to another part of the scripture now. And often when we get to the end of one, you know, I'm sort of seeking and wondering, Lord, where do you want us to go next, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, I had a young man start asking me some questions here three, four days ago. And the second I got a note saying, hey, what does this mean? I thought, okay, this is where we need to go next, you know? And uh, so I I think that's right. A lot of times God does that kind of stuff. I don't want to blame God for it if I wind up doing the wrong thing, (laughs) going the wrong place. But I believe there's something to it there. We're going to go to the book of Daniel. Okay, the book of Daniel. And the, uh, the book of Daniel is very, very important. There's great debate over the book of Daniel. Uh, you know, uh, what it means when it was written, things like that. I believe it was written, I think the 6th century is the way to say it, 6th century B.C. A lot of people believe that it was written in the 2nd century B.C. So why does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. I believe um, that the things that Daniel speaks of, particularly in the last half of the book, were things that were yet to occur. In other words, they're prophetic things that he saw that were yet to occur from his point in time. And that requires the earlier dating. Uh, for that same reason, many people, most in academia, as a matter of fact, believe that it was written in the 2nd century because the things that are spoken of, they believe, and I've actually read this in commentaries, uh, they believe it's too accurate to have been a prophecy. <laughs> and I think that through, You'll get a chuckle over there, right? Mm-hmm. That it was too accurate to be a uh, prophecy. In other words, he's recounting history. Uh, I don't believe that's true. So anyway, we'll talk about that all that when we get down there. Uh, Likely you know some things about Daniel and you are probably familiar with uh, uh, the stories that you hear as a child. You know, Daniel in the lion's den. uh, Daniel's friend being thrown uh, into a fiery furnace. That type of thing. You may have even heard of Nebuchadnezzar and the encounters that Daniel had. And that's all well and that's all good. Uh, There's 12 chapters in Daniel. The first six chapters are the chronology of Daniel's life. It just tells about his life and these uh, these various vignettes that I just mentioned, as well as other things. The last seven chapters, chapters uh, 7 through 12, are dreams and visions that Daniel had during his life. And so by definition, chapters 7 through 12 actually take place. Daniel experiences those at some point in time of the chronology of chapters 1 through 6. Am I clear with that? I feel like I'm a little confusing. Chapters 1 through 6 just tell his life from beginning to end. okay, And then 7 through 12 are the various dreams that he wrote down that he recounts to us. Obviously, by definition, those have to occur in his life at some time. And so we'll see that when we get closer to it. But we do well to pay some attention to the details of what's happening. So let's go to Daniel, chapter 1. I was hoping to get through the first seven verses, but we may not make it today. We'll see. In the first verse it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So we have timing elements right here, which I'm not going to get into uh, in this format because you can just get bogged down in the numbers and everything. But the scripture gives us tremendous detail, tremendous detail as to the timing of events that occur. And quite often it's expressed in this way, in the third year of the reign of a king. And so, uh, just for our own benefit, a lot of times, if it's talking about a king from the northern kingdom, it will give the time and element from him, but also the time and element of the king from the southern kingdom, the king of Judah. And so you can sort of compare and contrast between the two and get a, a rough idea when things are happening and establish a timeline. Well, here in this case, he's just telling us point blank that it's the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So Jehoiakim's been reigning, it's his third year. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem, and he besieges it. So what does besieging mean? That means that Jerusalem's got a wall around it. They're locked up tight. He is coming to conquer Jerusalem. It takes him three separate sieges over a period of uh, several years. Let's see, 605, uh, 597, and 586, I think, off the top of my head there, so don't hold me to that. But over that period of years, over roughly 20 years, He besieged Jerusalem for it to completely and totally fall and ultimately be destroyed. This is what is going to be referred to as the first siege. So this is right around 605. So he comes and besieges it. Verse 2, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God or God's, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his god or gods. And so what happens here? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he besieges. And he's victorious. But what he does is he leaves a vassal king there. A king of the people that agrees to be subservient to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he takes this king off. And then he takes a bunch of stuff out of the house of the, of the Lord, out of the temple. He takes the vessels of the treasury okay and he takes those very vessels and he places them in his treasury okay in his treasury and you say well why did they, why did he do that well that's what often happens you take the stuff away from one god and you bring it and you offer it to your god and it shows that your god is more powerful than the god that you took the stuff from because if i took the stuff from you and I took the stuff from your God, then your God must not be very powerful. And my God must be more powerful than your God. You know, we sort of look at that thing. Well, that's sort of quaint. And that's sort of nice. You know, we do the same exact thing. We do the same type of principle in our life <clears throat> in the way that we live in the way that we uh, uh, do things in jobs, the way we do things politically, uh, the way we th- do things even within the organizational church It's the same type of idea and the same mindset. Now, not only did he take the vessels of the treasury and present them to his God, he had actually taken some people. He had taken some people. I'm not going to get into that right now because I'll say that for the next episode. We'll start and see the whole big picture right there. But keep this in mind. It was in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar comes. Okay, He's the king of Babylon. And there's interesting things about that, too, of how he had ascended and when he ascended and his father still being that he's like a co-regent, this kind of stuff. Don't worry about that. But it is interesting history. He comes in, and the Lord is the one that gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Well, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had not done what the Lord had told him to do. So the Lord gives him into his hands, not only him, but the vessels of the house of God. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't just come in and take it, He received that which God had given. It says right here, verse two, the Lord gave Jehoiakim. The Lord gave the vessels of the house of God. Then he brings them, Nebuchadnezzar, to the land of Shinar, which is where Babylon was, which is actually the place when God told um, uh, people to go and multiply and be fruitful and everything like that. They went and got to the plain of Shinar and said, you know, we like this flat place right here. We think we're going to build a city and we're going to build a tower under the heavens, the tower of Babel that was in the plains of Shinar. So they go to the land of Shinar, that's where Babylon is, to the house of his God, he brought these vessels from the treasury of the house of God, and he presented them to his God. That's how the book of Daniel starts. You see conflict from the very beginning. You see the context of what's going on. You're going to learn a lot from this. Tell you what, share with folks, let them know where you start in Daniel, if they want to join with us. You know, you can always go back and pick up previous episodes and everything. But show people how to use a podcast, how to access one on their phone, on their tablet, on the computer, uh, however it may be. You can do it on your TV through iTunes and stuff like that. And I thank you so much for your help. And I'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye.